We're beginning part one of a three-part series entitled Islam and the Christian. Part one is entitled Beware of False Prophets. Matthew seven fifteen to 20. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. The men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Matthew seven fifteen again says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. The Bible gives us clear warning against false prophets. It tells us they are ravening wolves. The Bible warns us to be prepared against them, to be prepared against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Jesus goes on to instruct us in Matthew seven sixteen, You shall know them by their fruits. We need to be vigilant against the subtle and not-so-subtle attacks of our faith from false prophets, false religions, and false cults. Christians need to become more familiar with the religion of Islam in order to be able to defend our faith from the attacks it could face from the adherence to Islam and its tenets. We need to become more familiar with Islam to better understand world events, to better understand, in some cases, possibly our neighbors, or people we work with, or someone we go to school with. Christians need a better understanding of Islam to be able to share our faith with Muslims, who in some cases may know the Bible better than most Christians do. Islam is the world's fastest growing religion. It is estimated there are between 1 to 2 billion Muslims in the world today, compromising at least one quarter of the world's population. Many live in the Arab world, but the religion has spread all over the globe. It is estimated up to as many as 12 million Muslims live and reside in America. The fact that Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world should put Christians to shame. How is it? We as Christians, who have knowledge of the truth, the only way of salvation, that is through faith in the saving power of Jesus' blood, do not have the same fervor and zeal in spreading and sharing our faith with others as Muslims do in the spreading of their religion. We need to be zealously fulfilling the command of Christ in sharing his gospel with the world. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now let's look at Islam in the world's eye today. Recent and past world events have brought the religion of Islam into the public eye and generated a lot of rhetoric. People have attacked it and people have defended it. Let's look at a brief list of some of the more known events that have brought this religion and those who espouse it into the forefront. First, let's look at the first and second Barbary Wars that happened in the early 1800s. During this war, U.S. Marines along with hundreds of mercenaries, on July 14, 1804, marched from Alexandria, Egypt, across the desert to the city of Derma, 
which they laid siege to. Upon their victory, the American flag was raised. This marked the first time it had been done in victory on foreign soil. The first time the American flag was raised in victory on foreign soil was in a victory against a group of Muslim fighters. The line from the Marine Corps hymn about the shores of Tripoli comes from this war. This war was due to Muslim pilot pirates raiding American ships and demanding payment of tribute. They also took American sailors as slaves. We will see how this practice of raiding and taking things from other people was an established practice for Muslims to do going all the way back to Muhammad. Next we have, next we're going to point out is the hostage crisis of the late 1970s to 1980s. The first thing that put uh, the religion of Islam on the American uh, forefront, on the American mind, was the first and second Barbary Wars. Then the next major event that put the religion of Islam and its adherents and uh, the behavior of some of those adherents onto the forefront of the American psyche, the American mind, was the hostage crisis of the late 1970s to the early 1980s. The next was the first war with Iraq in the 1990s. After that was the attack on the World Trade Centers and the Pentagon on September 11, 2001. Then we have the U.S. war against international terrorism that's going on today. You also have the Israeli-Palestinian conflict over the past 50-plus years. And then we have the recent terrorist attacks going all over uh, Europe, Paris, all over Europe, terrorist attacks. So that's what brought... Uh, the Islam onto the the world stage, onto uh, being a threat or being a, a concern to those around the globe. So now let's look at the beginnings of Islam. They believe Abraham, with his son Ishmael, founded what is now known as Mecca and the first temple in the world worshiping a single God, whose name in the Arabic tongue is Allah. They believe Moses, David, Jesus, and others were prophets sent by Allah. They believe God delivered the Torah to Moses, but that it was corrupted by the Jews. They believe God delivered the gospel to Jesus, but that the gospel was corrupted by the apostles. They believe the only, the only authentic book of Allah is the Quran, and they believe it was revealed to Muhammad by the angel Gabriel. They believe the Quran was the final revelation of God given in addition to the Torah, the Psalms, and the Gospels. They believe the latter three to be in subjection to the Quran, and where they differ from the Quran, that is where they believe they had been corrupted. Well, the Bible tells us that God will preserve his word for all eternity. No corruption. He will preserve his word for all eternity. Psalm 12, 6-7 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Again, the words of the Lord are pure words. They were tried in the furnace of the earth seven times, purified seven times. It goes on to say, The Lord shall keep them, he shall preserve them, from this generation for forever for or for all eternity. No corruption can occur to God's word. He will 
preserve his pure word for eternity. So for them to say God could not preserve the Torah, God could not preserve the Psalms, God could not preserve the Gospels, and then could somehow preserve the Koran does not make any logical sense. If they think the first three books of God could be corrupted, then why do they all of a sudden think the Koran could not be corrupted? God also warns us against adding to his word, which to Koran and claiming to be God's word is doing just that. It's adding to God's word. And God warns against taking away from his word, which to Koran saying the Torah is corrupted, the Psalms are corrupted, the Gospels are corrupted, and where they disagree with the Koran, they're incorrect. Let's take that away. They're also taking away from the word of God. The Bible warns us strongly against these actions in Revelation 22, 18 and 19. The Bible says, For I testify unto every man that herewith the words of this prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. A very stern, very severe warning for taking away or adding to the word of God. And that's exactly what the Quran is claiming to be doing. So now let's look at the role of Muhammad. Muhammad, of course, was only a man. He was not divine in nature. He lived and he died. And his body was never resurrected. He died and he is still dead today. If he never trusted Christ as a savior, he is currently burning in hell at this moment. John 3, 17 to 18 tells us, For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Muhammad is a dead, so-called prophet, but we of Christians have a living Savior. We can go visit an empty tomb. It is believed Muhammad spoke the words of the Quran to his followers, who then supposedly memorized all of it. And it was not until 40 years after his death that any of it was then written down. Muslims believe Islam goes all the way back to Adam, Noah, and Abraham. They base, on this, they base this on supposed proclamations of Muhammad. Because of the significance of Muhammad and his early successors, it is beneficial to have at least a basic understanding of them and the religion they founded. It is impossible with the length of this study to go very deep into many details of any of this, but we will look and get a brief survey understanding of this topic. So now let's look at the brief early history of Islam. Muhammad was born in 570 in the town of Mecca in modern-day Saudi Arabia. His father died before he was born, and his mother died when he was six years old. As a youth, he traveled with trading caravans and was exposed to the teachings of Judaism and Christianity. We need to make sure we make a clear presentation of what we believe to others. A head knowledge of some facts instead of a heart knowledge in relationship with God can lead to the creation of cults, false doctrines, and false beliefs. What if an early Christian that Muhammad had met 
had given him a clear presentation of the gospel and persisted at it until Muhammad got saved. Think of how different the world would be now. Could the Islamic religion exist because a Christian thousands of years ago did not share the gospel to a young orphan Arabic boy like they should have and like we are commanded to do? Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. In 610, Muhammad claims to have received the first revelations of the Quran from the angel Gabriel. It is said he received the Quran in a process of revelations lasting the rest of his life, some 23 years. He was illiterate, and he could not read or right. In 621, Muhammad claims to have been taken to Jerusalem and back in one night by the angel Gabriel. He also claims he met Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and others this year. In 624, the adoption of the Gazu, or the raid, begins. Muslims now started raiding other people to capture their belongings and supplies to use for themselves. This was still in practice by the Barbary pirates we mentioned earlier in 1804, inciting President Jefferson to take the young country of America to war over this practice. Then in 626, Muhammad began to take several wives. Also this same year, Muhammad led his group of Muslims in a massacre of a Jewish tribe and sold their women and children into slavery. In 628, a treaty is signed. And now, thanks to many successful and violent war campaigns by Muhammad and his followers, Muhammad is now the most powerful man in Arabia. That's in 628. Four years later, 632, Muhammad dies. And the first Islamic Caliphate ends. An Islamic Caliphate is a form of Islamic government led by a caliph, or a person considered a political and religious successor to the Islamic prophet Muhammad and a leader of the entire Muslim community. So now let's look at the period immediately after Muhammad. We see over the next 28 years, four more Islamic caliphates happen in rapid succession as the followers of Muhammad rule for short periods of time over the Islamic empire that Muhammad had built up through his many violent, bloody, battles and his forced conversions and alliances to Islam. Much violence takes place during these 28 years. More lands are conquered by the Muslims. You have assassinations of leaders. You have a five-year Muslim civil war. Muhammad's widow leads a rebellion and is defeated. More leaders are assassinated and much internal violence ensues in the inner circle of Islam. Peaceful religion? I don't know. Contrast the early history of Islam and Muhammad with the early history of Christianity. Early Christians were persecuted. They were tortured. They were killed for their belief in Christ. The early history of Islam consists of Muslims persecuting, Muslims torturing, Muslims killing others for not converting to Islam 
or for just residing in the land they wish to control. The Bible tells us by their fruits ye shall know them. What can you glean from the works of the early Christians? What can you glean from the works of the early Muslims? Quite a contrast. Matthew seven sixteen to 17 Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Now thinking about in your mind what we just read about, what we just discussed, what we just talked about, about how early Christians, how they acted, how they were persecuted, how they conducted their lives, and then the early Muslims, how they acted, how they did the persecuting, how they did the killing, how they conducted themselves in their lives. And then think about Matthew seven sixteen to 17. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Now let's look at the Quran. Quran literally means recitation. It contains 114 chapters spoken by Muhammad over a period of 23 years. It was first put down in, in written form some 40 years after the death of Muhammad. This is an extra revelation supposedly revealed to Muhammad. This was referred to as an extra-biblical revelation. This is a common tactic that Satan uses to deceive people. Satan likes to use people who claim new or extra revelations that aren't in the Bible. He likes to use these people to deceive their followers. A couple of extra-biblical revelations Satan has used to deceive people from the real truth of Christ that you may know about. One is the Book of Mormon, and the other one is the Quran. All of God's Word has already been revealed to us, and it will last for all eternity. No new, no extra revelations are needed. No special glasses are needed to, to read any extra revelations. We already have all that we need. We already have the complete Word of God. Deuteronomy 29.29 29, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. Then we may do all the words of this law forever, belong unto us and to our children forever. Galatians 1.9 As we said before, so I say now again, If any man preach any other gospel unto you than ye have received, let him be accursed. The Quran to Muslims is the final word of Allah. It is considered his divine message to man as delivered by Muhammad, as told to him by the angel Gabriel. The second chapter of the Quran is the longest one, and it summarizes much of the teaching that is later elaborated upon in the rest of the Quran. This chapter is called the Al-Bakra, or the Heifer in English. This chapter contains the story of Moses and Jesus and teaches how the words they gave were corrupted by those who followed them. 287-121 in the Quran. The story of how Abraham and Ishmael supposedly built the house of Allah in Mecca is found in the Quran chapter 2, 122-141. And the ordinances that guide the Islamic community as a whole are also found here. Ordinances pertaining to personal conduct, fasting, jihad, 
orphans, and the treatment of women are found in this chapter 2 of the Quran, verses 168 to 242. The concept of jihad is explained by stories of Saul, David, and Goliath. In, in the Quran, chapter 2, verses 243 to 253, jihad is an Islamic term referring to the religious duty of Muslims to maintain their religion. In Arabic, the word jihad is a noun meaning to strive, to apply oneself, to struggle, to persevere. The word jihad appears frequently in the Quran. The Dictionary of Islam talks of jihad having two meanings, an inner spiritual struggle, the greater jihad, and an outer physical struggle against the enemies of Islam, the lesser jihad, which may take a violent form. Jihad is often translated as holy war. So in conclusion, in light of the very violent and turbulent early history of Islam and the teaching of jihad, can Islam really, truthfully, be called a religion of peace? Granted, a lot of Muslims are peaceful people, but can the religion of Islam be called a religion of peace, based on what we have learned? Islam demands of its adherents total surrender to the teachings of the Quran and the accepting the Quran wholly and without reservation. There are many elements of Islam that cause many non-Muslims to wonder about the peacefulness of this religion. The Quran is deeply venerated by Muslims. It seems much more so than many Christians revere the Bible. In some, in some countries, children memorize all of the Quran. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a child today memorizing all of the Bible or even memorizing all of the New Testament? But in some countries today, children are commanded to memorize and required to memorize all of the Quran. This leads me to a question to challenge you. How much of the Bible do you have memorized? Psalm 119.11 Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How, how many times have we obeyed that verse? How many times can we say we've applied that verse to our life? How much of God's word have we hid in our heart? The better one understands the early history of Muslims and the Quran, the better one will be equipped to share the gospel with a Muslim and defend one's faith from the attacks of Islam and the false teaching about God's words found in the Quran. The dedication of many Muslims to their faith should challenge us as Christians to be as dedicated or more so to our faith. If they can be that dedicated to lies and to a dead prophet, why can't we be even more dedicated to the truth and to a living God who we can go see his empty tomb? Why can't we be even more dedicated than they are? John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me.